Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to thank you for joining us once again for our sermon series called Gear Up. We are talking about the armor of God. Now, before I begin, I want to do a little bit of history lesson with you. I want to talk about Charlemagne, the most powerful European ruler in the Middle Ages, and how he led the people called the Franks to really conquer so much of the world. Now, here's some interesting things about Charlemagne. He was a ruthless leader, and yet... He had a strong conviction of faith. Matter of fact, all of his soldiers had to be baptized. His whole empire had to be baptized. Now, here's what something was very interesting. Whenever a soldier was baptized, they would take their sword and they would go into the waters of baptism and they would hold up one hand holding their sword and have their whole body dipped in water except for this one hand, holding the sword. Now, why would Charlemagne baptize every part of the soldier to God except for the hand that held the sword? Because this was the one piece of the soldier's body that he believed was allowed to commit murder. How sad is that? I think oftentimes when we think about us as Christians living in this world that we forget that we are aliens and strangers of this world. And so what we have done is we have taken tools and we have used them as weapons. So what are we talking about today? We are continuing in our sermon series and over the last six weeks, we have talked about two different topics. First, understanding our enemy and realizing that the person we are really having, in co having conflict with is not the individual that we see in front of us, but the enemy, Satan himself. And then second, what we've been talking about is the armor of God. Those pieces of armor that we put on to protect us so that we can advance forward. Now what we're doing today, and what we will be doing next week, is we will be talking about weapon weaponry the tools that God gives us to defeat the lies of our enemies. Why? Because we are called to live victorious Christian lives. And here's what I want us to do today. I want today to be a time in the scriptures that we are able to dive into the scriptures to understand how the scriptures, God's holy word, is our weapon, our sword, that we would be able to know Christ and make him known. So would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you that you have gone before us, that you have already won the victory, and now you have given us both the armor and the weapons to advance forward. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that today would be a new sight in understanding the word of God, the scriptures, the holy scriptures given to us that we may know you and make you known, advancing the kingdom of God together. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, and I will read this 
out loud. Now, what I love is that we've been reading this every single week, and the reason we're doing this is that it would become ingrained into your heart so that the Spirit of God would quicken it and make it alive to you. Let me read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. People of God, we need to recognize who our real enemy is. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so our focus today is that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So let's talk about the sword. What I am holding in my hand, and Sue is kind of cracking up because every single week I, I bring home a new toy for my illustrations for this sermon series. And so here is my new toy, better said replica that I will be putting on the wall. This is an actual replica of a gladius, a Roman sword. Now think of the word gladius. What does that remind you of? When I think about gladius, the word gladius, I think about the word gladiator. One of my favorite movies that I've ever watched. I love the movie, The Gladiator. And so the gladius is the sword that the Roman empire would give to each soldier. Now let's talk about the gladius. First, let's see. The blade is about two feet long and it is made of iron. This blade would have been coated with, with dust in order for it to form a carbon covering to make it harder and firmer and stronger, being able to deflect other pieces of iron, and it would be able to be a tool that was used with force. Now, look at the handle. This one is made of wood, but the handle was also made of ivory, or bone. Now, this is just a replica, so this is not sharpened at all, but if you were to look at this blade, and if it was a real gladius, both edges would have been sharpened, and the point would have been really sharp as well. Why? So that no matter how the soldier swung it, it would be able to cut in one direction and also in the other direction. Now, when a soldier would hold their sword, they would always hold it out so that they could stab first before swinging. Now, there's some other important things about this gladius. One, it was a soldier's weapon. And so when someone saw a gladius, they would know that that individual had some role in their life in the military. 
At some point, they were in the military. Otherwise, they had stolen it and basically was an illegal piece of weaponry. Now, this was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of intimidation. So here's what's interesting. The sword was to a soldier then what a rifle is to a soldier now. It's very important for us to understand. So as Paul looked at the Roman soldier, he would have seen all of his armor, and he would have seen the sword in a sheath connected to the belt of truth, because if a prisoner would leave, the soldier would pull out the sword and use it as a weapon against the inmate. And so, what the sword is to a soldier then is what a rifle is to a soldier now. And so Paul was very specific when he talked about the weapons that we are given in alignment to a Roman soldier. Now here's what's very interesting. Paul gives us armor to protect us, to advance us forward. But he gives us a weapon so that we can win. And we can defeat not only the attacks, but stab the enemy with the very same tool that he tries to come against us. And we're going to walk through this. Paul says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when we think about the Word of God, we think about the Bible. And one of the things that I've really loved about this study is that, that we oftentimes think about two words when it comes to the Word of God. We think about logos and rhema. Now, if you have time, press pause, and I want you to write these three words down because there's another word that we have totally left out and we have not been teaching the church that I believe is essential for us to connect all the dots. So let's talk about the first word, the graphe. Graphe, say that with me, graphe. And so a graphe is an actual book. It's a book that we pick up and we read and we turn through the pages and we read a book. Now, what we need to understand is that the Bible is a book. The Bible is actually the best-selling book in the history of all humanity. And people enjoy reading the Bible. There are more books written than any other book in the, in the world or at any given time. The Bible is being mass-produced. And so this book has a very significant part of our human history. So why do people love this graphe, this book? Last week I was off. I took the week off to kind of recoup and, and regroup and get ready for the Christmas season. And, and I read, I opened books. Why do people like the Bible? Because it has history, it has insight, and it's full of wisdom. Whether someone is a Christian or not a Christian, they look at this graphe, this book, as having a significant role in all of human history, whether they agree with it or not. But here's the problem. Even in a lot of Christian homes, the Bible just sits on the bookshelf. It's like my home office. My ceiling is wrapped with shelves that are filled with books, graphes. 
And I take a new book and I put it on the shelf. And here's the problem is most people take the Bible and they put it on the shelf and just put it next to the other graphics, the other books. But everybody wants a Bible in their house. Why? Because in some ways it's kind of like a good luck charm. It's kind of like a rabbit's foot. It's kind of like if, if something bad happens or you're struggling really bad, you just kind of go to your bookshelves and you, and you grab your Bible, graphe. But here's the problem. For most people and for most of the world, this book has little significance. Matter of fact, some people use this book like the Roman soldiers would use their gladius to hurt people, to harm people, to use it as a weapon against other individuals. So that's the first word. The second word is very interesting. Logos. It's a word that we would say that we are more familiar with. And so, so let me define the word logos in scripture. Logos is really has two meanings. One, it's, it's the revelation of God. It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are, are wrong and teaches us what to do what's right. And so when we look at the logos of Scripture, it's more than just a book. It's a revelation of who God is. It's a revelation and a history of the, of the creation narrative. It's a revelation of God's love for us. It's a revelation of the Jewish people and how he led them to the promised land. It's a revelation of the good news and the gospel. It's a revelation that God has loved us so much that he sent his son to live and die for us. But watch this. The word logos means word. It means word. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, was the logos. And the logos already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. The word already existed. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so what John the apostle wrote is that Jesus is the Logos, is the word of God, is the spoken word of God. And that Jesus was at the very beginning in the narrative of creation. That Jesus went throughout all the scripture with the people of God. But it was in the gospels that the Logos was revealed through humanity. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's put these two together. The graphe, the Bible, is a written book. But the Bible is also the logos. It is the revelation of God that speaks to the logos, his son, who revealed all of scripture and who also fulfilled all of Scripture. You see, when we look at Scripture and we look at this whole idea of Logos and, and God with us, we see Christ from Genesis through Revelations. 
I think that's part of the problem that we miss out on is that we only think that Jesus began in Matthew. No, it began in Genesis, speaking of the one to come. We read about him when we read about Adam and Eve, and it pushes all the way through the scripture. So the Bible is the inspiration, the writings of who God is and who Christ is. And as we have faith in Christ, who we are as children of God. And so we see the logos, the inspired word. But let's be honest. So many people read the scriptures and they read the, the, the Bible as, as either a book or, or as a history book or, or as, yeah, it's God-inspired, but I'm not really getting anything out of it. And that's where Paul comes in. Because when Paul uses the word of God, he talks about the spirit and the word being one. And the word that he uses for the sword of the spirit, the word of God, he doesn't use graphe. He doesn't use logos. He uses a word called rhema. And what the rhema is, it's the utterance. It's that which is said to us through the spirit of God as we read the word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates the word of God in our lives, that we respond to what is written down. You see, when we read the word of God, God is speaking to us of his promises and of his principles and of who he is and who we are. And and I'll be honest with you, I have read many passages many times, and for some reason it never clicked, and then one day something happened and it became alive to me. I'll never forget 19 years old. I've heard the gospel message many, many times, but I wasn't ready for it. My heart, my soil of my soul was not ready to respond to what God was trying to speak to me. But it was in that moment that the same words, Mark 8, 34 through 38, I remember it like yesterday. I had read that passage way before, multiple times, but for some reason that day, the rhema, the spirit of God, May the word of God become alive to me. Think about this sermon series. Has there been a time that you have read through the armor of God over the last six weeks and for some reason it became alive to you like never before? Or what about when I was reading a passage and you're like, wow, I've heard that passage before, but I've never heard it that way. It's not that I read it differently because it was read as it was written but you are ready to respond. And so that's the rhema, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so the book is God's written revelation that as we open it, we allow the spirit of God to do one thing and one thing only, transform us, and giving us a new identity as God's children. Every time I read this, the goal should be his transformation in my identity as a son of God. And that's when the rhema becomes alive. The Bible is a graphe. That is the logos, where the rhema, the spirit of God, desires to speak to us as we are receptive to God's voice 
written in the Holy Scriptures. How awesome is that? Again, how many people have Bibles on their shelves? How many times have people read the, the Christmas narrative as we're getting ready for Christmas? But, but then how many times is it that one time, that one Christmas, that, that you read the Mary, the Mary narrative or you read the Joseph narrative or, or you read about the wise men or, or you read about the shepherds or the angels or, or you even read that phrase, Emmanuel, God with us, that, that one time that it jumps out and it becomes alive. It's because you were being receptive to the rhema of God, the word of God, working through the spirit of God to bring you transformation. So here's what we need to do. Like a good soldier, we need to learn to wield our sword. We must learn to use the word of God, not as a weapon against others, but a weapon against the one who wants to steal our authority, who wants to kill the work of God in our lives, and who wants to destroy what God wants to do both in you and through you. So I want to walk through this. How do we wield the sword of the Spirit? And I really believe the best example, and I've used this multiple times, is looking at Jesus. But, but I want to take it a little bit st a step further, go a little bit deeper in it, and how God used the word to equip Jesus to wield the sword, the word of God, in a way to defeat the enemy who is trying to disrupt, distract, and derail God's eternal plan in and through him. So Luke chapter 4, Jesus just goes through one of the most profound moments in his life. He was baptized. And in his baptism, God affirms his identity. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And right afterwards, the father sent Jesus into the wilderness. Yes, to be tempted, to be tried. And really, why? To be strengthened. And so Jesus is, is fasting for 40 days and, and at three different moments, the enemy, Satan himself, appears to Jesus and tries to derail the work of God. And he tempts him with three things. First, with provisions. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Now, where did Jesus get this from? That people do not live by bread alone. Jesus used God's logos, watch what I'm about to do, and defeated the enemy because it was his rhema. The word of God was Jesus' rhema. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 8.3. And this is the word of God that became alive to Jesus in the midst of a temptation. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Jesus did in his moment of hunger he remembered the Logos, the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit quickened Jesus and said, you do not live by man-made bread. You live by every word spoken from the mouth of God. And Jesus took the rhema. 
and he sliced the lie of the enemy. People of God, do we know our word in such a way that when the enemy attacks, we not only block it, but we have an offensive act. Let's look at the next one. He then tempted him with position. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, Jesus took the logos, the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit empowered him to use the scriptures as his rhema, the inspired word of God to deflect the lie of the enemy, but then cut off the lies of the enemy. And Jesus said the words from Deuteronomy 6, 13. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations. For the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. Every time Satan was throwing an accusation or even an opportunity at Jesus, Jesus was quickened by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Scriptures. And he spoke the Holy Scriptures in such a way that it not only deflected the lie, but it cut off the lie of the enemy. But then there was a third one, tempted with power. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test your God. Where did Jesus get this passage? Was it just a moment of being with his father? No, he looked, out, he looked back to the people of Israel. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what it says. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. You see, in Massa, what had happened was the Israelites tempted Moses to get more water. And yet God provided for the Israelites their whole journey. And, and Moses was like, what are you doing? Why do you keep tempting God? And so Jesus, with one last swing, says, you must not test the Lord your God, nor can you. And so Jesus slayed the enemy. Jesus used God's word to deflect the lies of the enemy. But more importantly, he used the word of God to defeat the enemy. I heard a great illustration about the, the power of the logos in the graphe and the rhema. You see, the graphe is the big plane, the body of the plane, a, a book. The logos is the scriptures that are written in it. But the rhema is what illuminates God's word to become life to us. You see, a plane has two wings. And the only reason it can fly is because of both wings. One wing is the logos. The other wing is the rhema. And so we are given a book that reveals God to us, 
but also empowers us to live in the identity of who we are as children of God. So, when you open up your Bible and you look at Ephesians alone, there is so much wealth of wisdom and inspiration and transformation that Paul writes in that book alone, six chapters, that speak to us about who we are as children of God. So so let me show you how you can simply, even taking one book of the Bible, Ephesians, and learn to wield it in such a way that you can live the victorious Christian life that God has set before you. Let me give you examples for myself. When I struggle with God's love for me, I declare that I was created at the beginning of time with a purpose and a plan. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. When I wrestle with self-worth, I declare that I was created for purpose. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I believe that God created each one of us for purpose. And each one of us is a masterpiece of the hand of God. And as we live out our calling and as we walk in our identity, we get to see the masterpiece of of God and the master plan of God unfolded as we walk in who we are as sons and daughters of God. But what about this one? When I am told God does not care, this is what I declare, that he welcomes me. It says in Ephesians 3.12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. When I actually think that God doesn't care about the little things in my life, I remember Ephesians chapter 3 that I can boldly and confidently enter the throne room of God. And I can ask him. If it's part of his will, he will fulfill it. Nothing is too small and nothing is too big. God cares about all things in each one of our lives. You see, if we don't understand the logos, the revelation of God, we don't allow the rhema of God to become alive in us, to allow us to walk in the identity of who we are as sons and daughters of God. We must realize we are given a piece of weaponry to defeat the lies of the enemy. And here's the problem is the enemy's already lost. We just need to choose to walk in it. We need to choose to walk in that the enemy has lost and we have won because of who we are as sons and daughters of God. So what do we take away from this message? First, the Roman sword was two-sided. Both sides were sharp. And this is why Paul talks about us having a gladius. The author of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Paul was so deliberate that when he talked about the word of God, he didn't talk about a one-sided blade. He talked about a two-sided, two-sided blade on a sword that cuts both ways. We must realize that God's word is our weapon to protect us as well. David said this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word protects us 
from the temptations around us. God's word is also given to us that we would have victory. It says in Isaiah 54, but in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. No weapon formed against you can prosper. No temptation thrown at you do you have to give in to. When you allow the Spirit of God through the revelation of God to speak to you and you speak against the lies of the enemy, you will not give into the temptations that are thrown at you. Matter of fact, you will step on the head of the serpent and you will walk in the promises and principles that God has for you. But what we need to understand is this. God's word is not a weapon of this world. We do not use the sword like Charlemagne had used with his soldiers. We baptize everything in the word of God. Because the word of God is not a tool of destruction to destroy others. It's a tool given to us to speak to us about our identity. To speak to who God is and his love for us. It's a tool used, a weapon used that the enemy cannot lie to us of who, of who we are by telling us who we used to be is the same person we are today because that is a lie from the pit of hell. We, in Jesus, are made anew. And through the word of God and the spirit of God, we are transformed. So as it says in Romans, that we would know God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Second Corinthians 10 says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. God has given us his word that would be our weapon, that we would be able to live the victorious Christian life. It's our responsibility to both learn to wield it and it's our responsibility to use it. Here's what I want to ask you to, to do during our, our closing song of worship. I want to challenge you to rededicate your life to begin to read the word of God so that the spirit of God, the rhema of God could begin to do a new transforming work both in you and through you. So during this song of worship, I want to challenge you to rededicate your life, to learn to wield the word of God and to use the word of God that you would experience the victory that Christ has already given you. Let's worship together. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. And God, for the last sixteen years of my life, I've been learning to wield it. to use it. 
that I would experience the victory that you have for me. God, I pray over the plant family that the word of God would be their sword. Not as a weapon to use against each other, but a weapon to be used to to cut off the lies of the enemy. Would you reveal yourself, Holy Spirit, through the word of God, fresh and new like never before. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Plain family, pick up your sword and learn to live the victorious Christian life that God has for you. And remember, we're praying with you and we're praying for you. Have an amazing day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.